All right, this is uh, the first podcast, and I'm super excited to speak to this gentleman tonight, Ben Mackay. He's the founder of Penny Skateboards, and not only a huge inspiration, but a big mentor for myself. And uh, I won't talk too much about him because he's going to tell his story, and I'm excited to hear it. So, welcome, Ben. Thanks, buddy. How are Thanks you, mate? For me long. Good. So, wait. So. Uh, Penny skateboards. I mean, I've you know, it's I've followed its whole journey. You know, sixty-four countries. I think over two and a half thousand retailers. You started it from. I think it was your sister's name, but mate, tell me the journey. How, how did this yeah, thing come cool. about? And you know, I mean, I'm that excited for tonight. So yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, I guess uh, the penny story before we started penny in two thousand ten is a bit of a backstory to you know. Uh, the skateboard business so about 1999 I quit my job and started concreting and laying slabs laying house slabs and uh, had realized you know pretty early on that I just didn't want to be doing that my whole life so had some you know ambitions to to own and operate a skateboard business in in Australia here down Daisy Hill and uh, started manufacturing I built all my own machinery my hydraulic presses and glue rolling machines and things like that and and uh, really started manufacturing skateboards, imported all the glue from Chicago and uh, all, the, all the timber from the Greater Lakes District up in the USA and, yep, and yep. Uh, just started smacking it out and just started pressing boards and had no business plan, didn't, you know, just had an ambition and a desire and a passion to make skateboards and, and really didn't, um, didn't go into too much detail about how I was going to execute it. But, you know, just started out small and uh, had a lot of problems initially with even just trying to get all the, the pressure and the glue and everything correct to keep them from delaminating and, and keeping the ply together. So, you know, it was a long journey in that first uh, inception of building and making timber skateboard decks. And once I got that right, um, you know, I really started to uh, drive up and down the coast of Australia just building a, a network or a database of retail surf and skate shops and would supply... Uh, my first brand, which was Seven Skates, um, to, to surf and skate shops up and down the southeast coast of Australia. And, uh, and so from there, just uh, kept plugging at it and, and uh, connected with Andy McKenzie, who was uh, you know, a bit of a hero of mine in the skate industry, was very well known in Queensland and Australia for uh, you know, bringing skateboarding from the States to Australia. And it was a distributor for a lot of really good key brands at the time. And I approached Andy and, and uh, you know, wanted to see if there was some sort of synergy that I could produce some skateboards for him for his koala brand or you know if to um, that, and he was quite actually you know really instrumental in helping me and my business get off the ground in the early stages of probably 2001 and uh, he yeah, put wow. some big orders in and and I was you know screen printing hand screen printing all the boards and putting the koala logo on the boards and he would sell yeah, well, those to, to blanks that's a good question I have no idea it was uh, <laughs> probably t- 21 maybe yeah that's awesome 22 and uh yeah so really um you know andy i guess was the first sort of big break and a 500 board order was pretty instrumental to a a small little backyard business and it was like 12 grand and it was a huge order and took me a very long time to (laughs) to put those boards together and glue them all up and lacquer them and screen print them and and uh yeah at the time delivered the boards and he was stoked and we just worked that you know business relationship for a little while and and then uh you know the movie dogtown and z-boys came out and that was uh yeah yeah a real pivotal point for me i'd 
sort of locally probably was distributing or, or selling my skateboards to sort of maybe down to Ballina and then up the sunny coast and a bit further up north, but uh, really had a quite a small uh, footprint of the shops and, that I was servicing at the time for Seven Skates. And then uh, the movie Dogtown Z-Boys came out and I could really see that, that you know, skateboarding had really gone through... Uh, that pushed skateboarding so far to the limits that your ordinary average skateboarder couldn't do the tricks that we were seeing on the videos and yeah, yeah. You know, throwing themselves, hurdling themselves down a 13 stair handrail. And you know, it was just unattainable for most people. And yeah, uh, yeah. so I could see that skateboarding, two things were sort of happening in skateboarding at that time. And, you know, one was that old was becoming new again and that what, kids could do on playstation was very different to their you know skill level in real life in real life yeah exactly so uh i just uh, reached out to the guys at zflex in venice beach which is a heritage brand from 1976 and i actually asked them if i could be their australian distributor uh for zflex and and so i started doing that and and uh, got in a few boards and it started you know selling them into the the small account base that i had and uh yeah, really just started building that business and then all of a sudden I could see... How many see accounts that, did you have at the time? Oh, I reckon probably had 10 or 15, you know. It's yep. Geographically, yep. surf and skate shops yep. or surf shops that carried skate were very, you know, f- geographically spread out across Australia. So you're doing a lot of driving. And, yeah, a lot of kilometres. Uh, yeah, so and not much return. So, yeah, I really realised pretty quickly that with the Z-Flex product, it was something that was an, quite an easy sell-in. Uh, into and I could grow my my uh, database or my retail partners significantly um, and yep, not yep. have to drive and visit them door to door but started to do it and by way of phone calls only and opening new accounts all which obviously saves a lot of money South. and fuel for sure and just the accessibility of getting there you know and and just thinking in a way that would I knew wouldn't be too big of an outlay for a retailer, but also yep, yep. Um, giving them the opportunity to support something new and also, um, you know, priced at the, at the right price. It would sort of fit in that price point for Z-Flex. So, um, yeah, that was really, I guess, an eye-opener for me to realise that I could, you know, service more doors quite quickly and uh, meant that I could, uh, you know, stop concreting during the day <laughs> and pressing boards at night. So, yeah, it, it was a, a was full-time a, role. It did eventually, you know, I was on... Uh, I was on my honeymoon and uh, had a break and said to my wife, "Oh, you know what? When <laughs> when I get back, I'm just gonna I'm gonna quit concrete and I'm just gonna do this full time." Yeah, and, uh, that's cool. And how old were you then? Oh, dude, I'm probably twenty six, twenty seven. Yeah, nice. Um, so you know, it was a long road and yep. it was a, definitely not an overnight success. And at that point, and and. Uh, yeah, so I guess built that business to probably up to about 300 doors uh, across Australia. And at the time, skateboarding was also going through something quite significant. Um, well, the manufacturing side of things when, you know, I talked before about hand screen printing onto the skateboards. Yeah, so it was yeah. quite a challenge. It was messy and, you know, a lot of rejects because of leaked ink or, uh, you know, it was quite... And you guys were actually hand screening it Yeah, yourself. I was you're setting up and... You know, we didn't have tool. We had to make all our jigs and templates and 
go to Gabba Screens at and Gabba and get the screens made yeah, and then yeah. bring them home and then retrofit a hinge system on them and just, you know, placement on the boards to register them to make sure that the registration was correct. And yeah, wow. It was, and I'd never wow. obviously done anything like that in my life, but I just wanted to, to give it a scratch. crack. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, did that and, and then, uh, as I was saying, yeah, so screen printing was starting to, to, to fall away because... Um, some genius in China created a heat transfer, so it was uh, printed onto a, a full colour print. Deck. Was on no onto a clear film. Yep, yep. And so then it was sprayed with this coating, and then uh, it was dried out. Yep, yep. And you could just roll up this transfer and ship it all around the world. And so all of a sudden, no no longer were you doing you know full colour screens and doing tip to tail graphics over a complex shape. Yeah, yeah. You could have a heat transfer machine. It was a, basically a hot silicon roller or two rollers and you'd lay the graphic on the yep, board yep. dry and then you put it through the feeder and and uh, voila, you know, there's this perfect graphic every time applied onto a skateboard. So I'd seen a really small picture actually um, in a skate magazine, in Slam magazine, uh, of uh, Hardcore, which was Globe. Yep. They had this really small quarter of a photograph of what a heat transfer machine looked like. And I thought, oh, I reckon I could make one of those. And <laughs> it definitely revolutionized my little business. So yeah, yeah. Um, I gave it a crack. And I, um, from my glue rolling machine, I had some contacts in Acacia Ridge just locally that could produce silicon rollers. And I knew that I could buy heat lamps and things to heat up the rollers. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, welded a few things up and had this dodgy heat transfer machine. And then I jumped on Google and found a couple of suppliers in China that could produce such a transfer. And, yep, yep. and then, uh, you know, had all of a sudden had access to a whole new market where uh, something that really changed my business model was the shopboard program. So essentially I would have blank skateboards that I would produce, manufacture, and then put the shop's name on it, like yep. Skate Beers or Extreme Skates. Um, and so it was a great business because my minimums were very low uh, for the heat transfer machine, uh, for the heat transfers, and uh, you know gave me a reason to call them back in a couple of weeks. So I'd have regular contact with the shop and yeah, and also try and get Z-Flex and, and Seven and yeah, exactly other brands that we had. Yep, yep. In there, and so the shopboard program was a really um, a really good inlet for my little business to um, value add to shops and also uh, keep the minimums down and. And uh, have regular, uh, a real genuine reason to call a shop to yeah, make a sale. Yeah, and help grow it, and then yeah. uh, and then give them that kind of feeling that they've got their own skateboard for. Correct, you know, their and it met a price too. point instead of a regular blank. You know, it was promoting the shop. Yeah, out in the skate parks in the in in the city, and uh, was a good way for people to yeah, uh, wow, for shops awesome. to get their name out there. Yeah, yeah, cool. And then from there, what like how did do you know how did I suppose you know it's a crazy journey you've come from and. I mean, you've grown up in Logan, actually, where I grew up as well. So, I, you know, I actually remember seeing your seven skates van around when I was at school myself, <laughs> yeah, right. walking home from school or riding my BMX bike. So I remember seeing the whole journey of it yeah. growing and then seeing that penny board come out and boom. How did kind of you transfer from going from this plastic skateboard to, to you know, yes, you know, how, how did question. this all come about? Like, what? So I think, um, you know, penny was the thing that put us on the map and, but before that, as I said, you know, it sort of really piggybacked on that um, that whole old is new again and, you know, retro yeah. is back and, yeah, the, history and the full circle of skateboarding. And, and uh, I'd seen that with Z-Flex and 
you know, I was sitting there one night and I was talking to my wife. I'm like, oh, I really think that, you know, there's something in that little plastic board. I had one when I was a kid and, and I thought, yeah, you know what, I reckon that thing needs to come back. And so, you know, we, uh, we started to, pro- I think it was 2008, 2009, started to prototype and do a lot of work at going and visiting local factories to see, you know, how we'd get the board produced and pl- plastic injection moulding was something yeah. that I, you know, thought would be a good way to produce these things and... Pardon me. So we went to uh, had all the you know all the sourcing obviously from from China. My suppliers in China because yeah, yeah. at that time, uh, taking control of the supply uh, fr- from America, we we took the Zflex products and got them manufactured in China. Yeah, because Zflex as a brand just couldn't keep up with the demand for the Australian market. So you've grown it that big in Australia. Yeah. 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 Cool. And. Uh, and so it gave us the flexibility to control, the, you know, obviously the stock and the supply. And then, you know, we'd created the demand through putting it in the window of the shops. And so uh, for Penny, then we prototyped it. And, and uh, like you said in the opening comment, I named it after my sister Penny. And, How did that uh, come about? What? I just had that whole, I think, you know, when I threw around a few names and I think that, you know, the Penny name was something, it's like the Beatles, Penny Lane, or yeah, I yeah. think it just had that really good... Um, uh, you know, reminiscence or that 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 old school sort of vibe that I was looking for. That I think yeah. was really fitting for for the product. Yeah, yeah. And so, totally uh, agree. Yeah, and uh, and so yeah. In 2010, we put it to market, and I had a, a whole lot of obviously I had you know the 300 odd doors that we were servicing, and everybody, all my retail guy, the partners that were stocking our products, were all very excited to yeah. to range the product, and then. Uh, you know, it was the most picked up skateboard in the shop, yeah, but the yeah. least sold. And uh, okay. we'd sold it in really well, but then all of a sudden I think people didn't really understand that it was a functioning skateboard while they would pick it up and say, oh, I remember a board like that, yeah, that's cool. Because it was so small at 22 and a half inches and your regular skateboard is 30 inches. Properly. Exactly. Or ride and, the board. And exactly. And so, you know, it was that real hurdle and I'm thinking, oh man, how, do we, how are we going to solve this? Because I know it rides well. We designed it and built it to to ride and function really yeah, well, and yeah. it was uh, completely unlike the skateboards of the seventies, the plastic boards which were you know basically pigs. Yeah, these yeah. things were fast and smooth, and, and they turned really well. So um, you know, we put out a little video on YouTube, and and that once skateboarders really picked that up and realised, oh, this board actually it works, you know, it yeah, functions, yeah. and it was also quite a challenge because at the same time, uh, you know skateboarders love a challenge and then all of a sudden kids were doing tray flips and all the pop shove like just bizarre creating all this content exactly yeah and and putting it on youtube yeah and, and this uh, is obviously before you know facebook instagram so literally you only had youtube that was you know really yeah I mean, it, was it was myspace days but the only way to really promote it <laughs> yeah. to promote a brand so my so i've still got myspace that's cool yeah i think i do i've probably got some friend requests there <laughs> So uh, 2010 and then uh, 2011 was still Australia. And then all of a sudden we started to get, uh, I think a Bolarama was on down at Bondi. Yep, yep. And I know a couple of pros took the boards back for their kids and then, you know, started to get some traction and get some attention in the US and other global markets. And uh, the business just absolutely erupted in terms of volume because it was such a product we couldn't keep it in stock and so we had to get the boards oh, wow. the, the decks actually also made and assembled in in china because we had 
you know, I had mates and kids and staff and we were building the boards. Like, so we'd get the decks made locally and then we'd be assembling the trucks and wheels onto the boards here in Logan home. Yeah, wow. And I remember just about coming out the door, we had, you know, pallets and pallets and pallets of components and then we'd have to get these things onto the boards and and bolt them on and ship them out and and just controlling that too it was crazy yeah it was yeah. just nuts and uh anyway we 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 seemed to pull it off in australia and and by that time i suppose we'd had a from a business perspective we'd had a lot of systems in place because of the volume of business that we were doing in australia here so we had you know a significant amount of staff and we yep. had not only a lot of opportunity but also the ability to build a business behind a brand yeah and yep. so um, absolute board co is the skate business it's like the global distribution uh, business and pennies a brand and seven and z flex are the brands yeah yeah so you know we had all this excitement and uh, opportunity in other regions and uh, you know people were talking about just using distributors in other regions in America and uh, I just thought oh you know what it's great to have a brand but I really can't control that brand or know yeah. if it's being put in the right channel um, so it's I brand thought, protections everything you know when it's yours it's and... critical you know it is is key and and so I thought you know like it's one of those things where we had a distribution model here and so I said to Luke Campbell, my business partner, um, he sold out of his, he's a chartered accountant, he sold yep. out of his practice and I said, mate, you got to join this thing. It's And helped going you the along the journey with you. And so he helped really embed a lot of business discipline and process into the business too in those early stages. So yep. Yep. I said, mate, you know, we got to build this business in the States. Um, let's just up and leave for three months and... Let's go and replicate go and this it. same business model and systems in the US. And so that's what we did. I had a two-year-old son and my wife was pregnant with our second and and we just up and left and the business was, you know, running pretty well autonomously without us here in, in Australia. And at the time, the dollar was like we were producing all all our sales are in Australian dollars and the dollar was overpowered. It was like a dollar ten. Uh, yep, it was incredible so we're making all this AUD and then we're building a business that was costing money but it was you know cheap because Australia was a dollar ten to the US yep, so yep. it was a really good time and in terms of t currency timing and and uh, yeah so then we went and built uh, basically replicated all the same systems and, and procedures in the US we hired about seven sales staff and some warehouse guys and some logistics guys, and we rented. And a did warehouse. you know anyone in America when you went over? Did you have any yeah, idea? So, or yeah, that's, did, like, that's a good question. Yeah, so Butch Sturbins, he's an old Z boy from Z Flex, and yeah. when I started doing Z Flex in Australia, we connected, and then uh, so he was my point of contact, and he was actually repping Z Flex um, in the US in Oceanside for yeah. Z Flex, and so then when we started um, in 2007, before Penny erupted, I actually had the opportunity to buy. Zflex International, so I bought the whole company, yeah, uh, and, yeah, and so awesome. I had the rights for the US and the rest of the world, and so we kept Butch on as a sales guy when we came over there in 2012, I think it was, yeah, and we set up in Oceanside in uh, Southern California, and and you know Butch was one of our, he's our first US sales guy, still there today. That's awesome. So he's still there to this yeah. day, and oh, just what a loves loves Zflex with a passion, That's and awesome. uh, yeah, it was so. Um, just trained everyone up and you know obviously 
the US, I mean, we were very green and naive and just thought, yeah, we're on a roll, let's just have a crack. And, and we knew at that time that we had, you know, really strong competitors coming out um, with a plastic board too, like Globe and Stereo. And, and, uh, and I always say that, you know, competitors just make you so much better. And yeah, I think there's 100%. this healthy paranoia that you have as a brand owner or as a business person or entrepreneur that, you know, you just, you, you're in the race and you got to sometimes get your, your bulldog out and just you know go, go like crazy it. yeah and so uh, we those times were incredibly stressful you know personally but at the same time you know this there's, there's some of the defining moments of your business where you just seem to uh just knuckle down and just do whatever it takes and yeah and there's yep, a sacrifice 100%. you know personally as well and and uh but you know you just got to get in and do it and it's for a season and and uh, you just, I think, you know, long term, you just got to realize that that is a season and you have to be sensible enough as a father and a husband and a, yep. a business owner yep. to know that that can continue balance. for a long period of time. But, uh, yeah, so we did that in the States in three months and, you know, we, we said we wanted to be in, I don't know, over a thousand doors before we left and have a good manager in place. And, and obviously... Um, you know, one of our key goals was to be in Zoomies, you know, the biggest retailer. Yeah, yeah, one of those guys. We had about 600 stores, I think. Yeah, I there. think 630. It was a massive, yeah. massive number. And and so, uh, you know, by the end we left, we were in a lot of really good accounts and we also got into Zoomies. And, uh, yeah, it was just a really amazing and successful time for our little business to actually sort of replicate our model and system. And then, you know, I remember when we were... Um, training the sales guys and we were thinking because you know, sector nine was just the lead product in yep, skate yep. hard goods it was just it'd been there for decades or you know good a good amount of time it solidified itself in the market so you had to train your sales team about the penny product and what it stood for as a brand and why you were making this brand exactly and, and yeah. to an audience that were new to hearing a you know a plastic skateboard surely that would retail for 30 usd and we, you know we're yeah. saying no no it's 100 yeah, 109 yeah. Why? It's a full keystone margin of 50 bucks wholesale. And uh, so, you know, we had to, for me, I guess it was a real opportunity to hone our sales skills and really navigate through some of the main hurdles. You know, we had to break down, well, why is Sector 9 so good and start talking about margins and, you know, really getting in there with and understanding the competitors and the competitor set to see where were these little cracks in the system that we could see that would make our product be placed in the right doors and yep. and, and yep. be ranged well and, and even get the buyer from a cold call, how do you convert those guys yep. Uh, yep. to a sale? And and so it was an amazing time where we would just go on hell for leather and, and um, yeah, it, it, it helps when you have an exceptional product at the right place at the right time. Yes. So yep. it was one of those things in skateboarding um, where – and I'm not saying this flippantly, but, you know, skateboarding goes through cycles and and it was just the right product at the right time. It yeah. lowered the barriers to entry for everyone to have fun again. Our yeah. whole, you know, theme was about fun and just bringing the fun back. Boy, girl, young, old. Yeah. Just have you fun on a skateboard. skateboard. and have fun. Exactly. It wasn't and, about uh, doing a kickflip or... Exactly. You know, being good at anything, just having fun. 100%. And, and I remember... Um, you know, Jay Adams, one of the original, he's dubbed the Cedar Skateboarding. He he passed away and we were at his paddle out set, uh, funeral at the yeah, uh, yeah. At Venice Beach there and there was a 
paddle paddle out memorial and i saw stacy peralta just sitting on the beach and i was like oh man i should go and talk to stacy <laughs> and uh so i went up she was just sitting on a surfboard waiting to paddle out and i'm like hey stacy and it's ben i'm absolute bull co and penny skateboards and he's like oh man it's i've been meaning to talk to you he said it's uh it's just amazing what's happened he said you know what just enjoy the journey he said yeah. it's he said skateboarding needed that for a decade or so it's just it's the very thing that skateboarding needed to just rejuvenate the sport and just rejuvenate you know the whole industry in terms of um retailers helping them keep their lights on and yeah yeah and so for me that was like a really another defining moment where i was like wow i just have so much respect for stacy and then for him to say that and just say you know just remember to have fun along the way because yeah. i'm sure he would know that you know with the big business like that there comes a whole lot of you know corporate governance and just a whole a lot, lot of little headaches every day and and senior management and then having to you know pass that point um where you know I, I guess even at some point the business got so large that you know we had executive management c-level you know chief level executives in the business and yeah, yeah. finance and it was just a time where um I was stretched personally. It was great to experience. And, you know, we were at board level with non-executive directors, not in the business, not, not operating in the business in the day-to-day and elevated to a board level. And, and that whole experience was just um, was, was amazing for me personally and, and yeah, it was just such a, a great experience. That. So much. Yeah, it was just a, a, an awesome opportunity for um, from a professional level to, to really, be, you know, even have to be able to sit in that environment. Um, yeah. Let alone have having me as the owner owning the business at the same time. So it was incredibly great, but it yeah, was also yeah. incredibly stressful. Oh, the and, stress uh, that you would have gone through too. Yeah. Did you uh, did you get to keep skateboarding the whole time? Yeah, you know, always you, surfing you and time? skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but it was one of those things where you know everything comes at a cost, and uh, you know. If I was to be brutally honest, of course I would do it all over again, and I would do it a million different ways. Yep, but yep. I think sometimes too, it's uh, it's often in the hardest times that it is where I think you grow the most. Yeah, and uh, so the business continued totally to agree. grow, and <clears throat> we we went and uh, did replicated the same business in Southampton in the UK. So we had a uh, you know head office here in Australia with a with a CEO and a cfo and a brand manager and you know a pretty big executive team and a, yeah, a yeah. board and head office was in australia and we had the american business in oceanside that would do all of us and the americas yeah. and then we did the same thing in southampton that would feed all of uk and europe yeah, so we had yeah. a pretty significant global distribution footprint and uh and how many countries did you actually yeah get i into? think i think we're in something like 64 countries and retail doors that you guys stocked with Penny? yeah i don't even know that was at some point it was just phenomenal yeah maybe i think i read something about three and a half thousand but it's yeah it, could, it, could it be would more. have been something like that yeah and obviously you know controlling branding and also controlling the channel was exceptionally hard when you're using distributors and when there's such a high demand for the product, um, you know, our product ended up in Costco two or three yeah. times, maybe even more. Maybe how did you deal times. with that? You know, it's just incredibly too. stressful because you're trying to support American surf skate, and because uh, that was the market that it was affected. Yes, yeah. And then uh, you know, it was uh, 
you've got distributors and we had so many distributors in other countries that we couldn't re- like Russia was ordering a million dollars a month at some point and <laughs> we, you know at some point that product has to end up in in a gray market or in the wrong channel so yeah yep. the, the the challenge it's too with to manage to make sure your products in the right channel for channels. sure for sustain it for longevity and we knew yeah. that it was a cycle like we couldn't continue to sustain yes. that sort yep. of growth um so you wanted to be respectful and, and make sure that, you know, your channel strategy was right and that you weren't just, yeah, yeah you didn't go too broad in your distribution. And, um, you know, we made some, we made some whopping mistakes in that, you know, take, taking the sale versus, um, you know, versus not taking the sale and keeping yeah. it in channel. And, um, but the Costco thing was a complete disaster for us because obviously our competitors was a great yeah. sales talking piece for that. But, um, and did you, uh, it's something you went back on and said about, you know, you learn a lot more when things aren't going right. Do you know, do you think you learn more from, you know, when you make the mistakes, you know, it's that whole thing when yeah, you make mistakes, it's the 100%. only way you really learn to yeah. you have to get out there and make them. Yeah. I mean, there's book smart and there's street smart, I guess. And yep. I didn't have the book smart, so <laughs> I, I guess I got educated in the, in the street smart side of things. So yeah, it was one of those things where you continually have to reassess and make sure that you're on the right track and and uh yeah so it was it was a great time and and but the costco thing was just something that was unfortunate and even you know having distributors in india that were pumping the product through and and uh and getting it into costco so it was we we had we definitely made some mistakes in that aspects from distribution yeah yeah and you can see you know when you do it's it's something you definitely learn from and you know i i can see from you know looking at from uh from the industry where in you know if you go into retail stores like that and you're stocking really good surf skate street stores that you know it can really detriment that and that's a that's the last thing you want to do when you've been helping them grow their business sure. and it goes in there so i know the feeling it's uh it wouldn't be nice at all yeah, no, it's, it's uh, rough. to see that happen yeah it's rough you know the distribution channels are so big and you guys you know 64 countries three and a half thousand retailers do you know the, the revenue you guys must have been doing? Do you know from from starting something from? Do you uh, answer that question? What's that? <laughs> I'm not answering it. I want to know it. I'm excited to know it, but I, I'm trying to make a hard guess yeah, on the yeah. revenue. No, but. so when we were in the in Australia, uh, 2009, I think yeah, we went from uh, I think 300 in revenue to a million to three million in 2010. That was just all in AU in the AU business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know we, we, let me think. So, yeah, I think so. We did a couple of three mil. And then that year when we started, we went to the States. I'm getting all my years mixed up. I'm hopeless with dates. But, uh, <laughs> okay. So I know we went from three mil to 19 mil. We were, we did it all on cash. We didn't have any financing. Which is lenders, huge, huge. No facilities and, uh, yeah, and so then we went from so three nineteen. Um, I have to talk to Luke, ask Luke if this is correct, but they're like twenty, no, nineteen to thirty-two to fifty-four million in our peak. Wow! And so now we come, we put half that business now. Yeah, yeah. And how many staff did you have at that point? Oh, we had over a hundred. Um, and and so well, so those figures aren't all skate. So. During that process, um, you had the other brands running as well, right? Yeah, the other brands, but then also we we had an opportunity. So Uppercut Deluxe is um, a barber business, yeah, uh, yeah, hair pomade, and um, the boys Stephen, Luke, and Kira were sort of other founders of that business. They started it. 
um, out of a garage. They're, they're barbers themselves, yeah, Steve and yeah. Luke, uh, best Which mates. And, I even use Uppercut. Yeah, Don't have so, it tonight, but yeah, I love yeah. the brand. Love so, it. So that, that was a... Um, I knew them through skateboarding. Yeah. And then their business had blown up and, and really it was getting international demand, very similar sort of a yep. totally different product, similar story, uh, getting similar international demand. as well. Yeah, so all in the Barber Channel. Yep. And then uh, they were getting some opportunity over, overseas in Europe and in America. And then they came to us and said, look, this thing's going to need cash. We want the, to give this business and, and this brand the best opportunity to grow. Yeah. Is there some synergies here? You guys have a great global distribution and so we really saw that as a great opportunity to not only value add but also start another business that was complementary that could leverage that yep. global distribution that we had. Yeah, yeah. And so we got you know heavily involved in that business, and um, and then we started to put it through our channel, and then initially we put it in the surf skate channel. Um, and leverage the the sales staff that we already have, yep. and it was a, it was a really great synergy. But also, obviously, integrating a small business into a larger uh, small business into a larger business, there's a ton of challenges with um, you know rolling out a new strategy and having yep. one uh, executive team trying to execute a plan that we already had in place for the skate business. But plus, with a new thing coming in as well. Exactly. So. Um, and it's it's a massive success story that brand, and so now it is in a complete. We've separated the two businesses, so Absolute Board Co is completely separate. Two executive Deluxe. teams, yeah, two. And Kira, you know, the founder is is back in. She's the CEO of that business. Yeah, and we've stuck yeah. a really good balance. With it's an amazing story. What uh, what you guys help create with the Uppercut brand and what yeah. they've done. It's and awesome. so now we've really spent a good year, you know, cleaning channel and making sure that we are barber focused for Uppercut Deluxe and we are yep. barber centric and everything we do is for that channel. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's really been a, a, a great learning for us too and making sure that we don't make the same mistakes from an executive point of view um, while we're growing that yeah, cool. business. You know, it's, it's quite cool because I know that, you know, if, you grew up from, you know, you're from Logan and uh, it's cool to see success stories from this area. You know, I grew up myself. What, you know, what did you, where did you, like, what school did you go to? Where were you from? Did you grow up skateboarding? Like, what yeah, age did you start skateboarding? Like, because this has not been something that's, this is something that's been a passion for you since you are a yeah, kid Yeah, and I think too. that's sort of, um, it's a good question because it's something that is your, your lifestyle, your passion. Yeah, 100%. It makes, it, it makes getting up every day a whole lot easier than, than doing something that you're not or you can't fabricate, you know, genuineness. So, yeah, I was skateboarding since I was three or four and I've got fo slides actually, yeah. <laughs> photographs and slides of me on uh, skateboard yeah, next sick. to my mum's Kingswood in, in Rochdale is where we grew up and, yeah, that's and then sick. moved to Daisy Hill and that's where I started my the skate business at the back of my parents' place. And, yeah, yeah. But always skateboarding and surfing, um, you know, I think I started surfing when I was nine and I remember my dad, we, we bought an old pig of a surfboard and uh, my dad was actually a coach builder so he, he was always into fixing things up. He was very handy. And, yep, yep. and so we stripped that surfboard back and we, you know, repainted it, put some stickers on it. It was sort of was the best. And then yeah, we pushed yeah. me into waves at Burley and uh, just in the beach break there. And, uh, you know, some of my fondest memories, me and my dad was out actually out in the water just surfing. And, yeah, that's cool. And, uh, yeah, he was a... He's a legend. So, yeah, I was, it was always a part of my lifestyle. And, uh, and then I was a high school dropout. I got expelled from a school in, in Mansfield, private school, and then went to state school. And then as yep. soon as I turned 15, I don't, 
think did I even finish grade nine? Uh, grade, I didn't even finish grade ten. You didn't finish grade ten, and then straight into an apprenticeship as a cabinet maker. And uh, so that was before concreting. Yeah, so I was, yep. did an apprenticeship and then become a tradesperson in there. Uh, did that for sort of another four years. And did years. that help you with learning how to, you know, yeah, to make skateboard was, I decks? I always had a passion for timber and woodworking yeah. and craft. And, and I think that really set the pace. And I remember my boss was just saying, mate, you know, you're kidding yourself thinking you're going to do a skateboard business. <laughs> Give you more motivation, right? 100%. So it was just that fuel. And it's in those dark moments where you, you know, I had no, like I said, I didn't have a business plan, but I had no idea that, was going to pull anything off but you had a passion and uh and a a determination i think too where you know as a business owner you have to wear every hat you know i'm in the warehouse i'm packing i'm sorting out logistics and procurement i'm finding new products i'm product testing yeah i'm doing the books my wife's doing the baths you know what i mean like when we started out like that it was just you're doing every single thing yeah and uh and then sales and and there's and my dad also was a salesperson, so I learned a lot when school holidays were on because I'd sit in the car and he'd drive all the way out to Dolby and talk to farmers and big, you know, um, butcheries and just. So I would be listening to how he would sell, and I wasn't yeah, consciously yeah. doing it, but it was just something that a skill I think I picked up. And and selling is you know is is a real technique, and a, and I think that too is why we had so much success in the U.S. because. Not only do you wear so many hats, but there is a real skill to understanding a, a real sales strategy and, and yeah, uh, yeah, navigating definitely. through difficult conversations with people and winning people over. You know, like it's just one of those things where, you know, oftentimes you'd want to, you'd be in a difficult position and you'd want to, you know, just attack them or just you know verbally attack yeah, them yeah. Or, or you know be the winner That's in the how conversation. That conversation comes out on top. By, exactly uh, the right words. Exactly, and you can really turn that around. And if you humble yourself and have the ability to play long and think yeah. about what you're trying to grow, yeah, which um, is a great, yeah, that's a great answer. It's hard, to, it's hard to do, but if you honestly have, I guess, a long play or a strategy that you know that you need to get to, um, you know, sometimes you need to do that and and just put them first. And you know, one thing my dad always said was the customer's right. Correct. And if he's not right, the customer's always right. Yeah. Yep. So I think that was sort of some of those basic principles that have stayed with me through the journey. You don't realise growing up as a, as a kid that those little things that help you with your career and, you know, especially with, you know, you know young entrepreneurs today and what they're going through that, you know, you don't need to know everything. You've just got to have that passion and willing to yep. learn. But also at the same time, you don't realise you feedback those skills from growing up that can really help you and when mm. you start to realize that it's coming into play you really start to leverage off that i think and yeah and you know you use you know just knowing the the penny skateboard story and seeing from a kid growing through you can see how it really founded there and yeah it's it's uh it's an exciting story it's really motivating yeah, just thanks, to hear buddy. that yeah cool thanks man appreciate it's it. all right and i mean if if you know if you had any advice which uh, I know I'd be excited. Any advice to, to you know to give any young kid trying to give it a go, or anyone you know trying to trying to start something? What would you give them? I think, um, for me, I guess uh, if you came to me and said, "Oh, I've got this great idea," and you talked to me about it, and you said you were passionate about it, and I think if I could convince you that it was a bad idea, you don't want it enough. Yeah. 
no one could, you know, a lot of people in my early days, people I knew, people I didn't know, you know, people that I was talking to, industry people, many, many times people say, there's no money in skateboarding. And I'm thinking, I'm not, you know, not doing this for a big paycheck. I know I'm doing this because I want to live in yeah. an industry that I want to be in, I want to be a part of this skateboarding you know, industry. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think... Um, Oftentimes, if I'd listened to all that negativity or people that would tell me that I couldn't do it, um, you know, I probably, I probably, I know I wouldn't be where I am today, um, yeah, and, and or have had some of the wins that that have happened along the way. Um, it's just determination, and I think you know, I said before talking about being genuine, um, you can't fabricate that. You know, no, you can only go no. on for a certain amount of time when you you can tell a story. But if it's um, in your lifeblood and it's it's a part of your DNA and who you are, then yeah, hundred percent, it kind of makes it a whole lot easier. So, if you can convince someone that they uh, their idea is terrible and they <laughs> believe it, then they obviously don't want it enough. Yeah, and they don't have the passion to actually do it. Mm. Yeah, it's a great answer. Great answer. You made me motivated. You're on that, mate. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, you good fella. Thanks, brother. Oh, it was great to chat. I mean, uh, thanks, Ben, for letting us use his awesome place. He's got his skate park out the back. It's, uh, you know, I think it's about 8.30 at night. It's, uh, yeah, but, yeah, for our first podcast, I was, you know, thanks for letting us catch up with you, brother. It was yeah, awesome. Cool, man. Appreciate it. Good thanks, everybody. man.